If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. Support for Green Dreamer comes from our Green Dreamer planners that you can check out at greendreamer.com slash shop, as well as our listener patrons. Thank you so much for supporting this independent show starting at $2 per month by going to greendreamer.com slash support, sharing your favorite episodes with friends, or leaving me a rating and review in the podcast app. I read them all, they warm my heart, they keep me going, and I really, really appreciate your support. So thank you so much. Somebody tells you, you know what, like, we need profits over protecting the earth. And they repeat it to you a hundred times. And they repeat it to you through the movies. They're shaping your reality. They're programming you and they're programming us. So that's what I mean is that, like, reclaiming your narrative and telling your own story and creating spaces for other people to tell their own story. It's like healing. And it's also going to bring us back to, like, just loving ourselves a little more. That was Josue Rivas, a visual storyteller and educator working at the intersection of art, journalism, and social justice, whose work aims to challenge the mainstream narrative about indigenous peoples, build awareness around issues affecting native communities across Turtle Island, and be a visual messenger for those in the shadows of our society. He collaborates closely with the notable youth climate activist and hip-hop artist, Shuta Scott Martinez, who we had the honor of interviewing back in episode 41. So be sure to tune into that conversation as well. But here we're going to dive into what the lack of diversity in our media newsrooms has meant for our public discourse and understanding of underrepresented communities, how intentional photojournalism and storytelling can help us to build empathy for one another as fellow humans rather than perpetuate stereotypes or cause divide and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. So my main, I guess you can say, inspiration to care about the environment and also Social justice is, is based on my experience as a person, as a person of color and as an indigenous man in this in, in these times. So for me, it was kind of like a natural thing to try to uh, 
use my gifts and, and my passions towards uplifting not only the voices of people of color, but um, of like people that are in the shadows of society, you know, what we sometimes call like oppressed peoples or marginalized peoples, which I personally don't like those names, but a lot of people can identify with that. So for me, you know, it was just like a natural thing where I saw that my photography and my art and the passion that I have behind content creating, creating visuals, that's where it was. It was like, I want to use it for good. I don't want to go like do photos for like models or brands that might not align with what I believe in. So you became well known for your photojournalism work, documenting what was happening at Standing Rock, specifically because you earned the permission of the people there to be able to photograph them. So you were able to capture intimate and powerful moments that other journalists may not have been able to. Can you share with us what you had to learn to prepare yourself for that trip, as well as your most profound learning lessons from having been there for seven months? I think that for me, the path and the way that I was able to get deep within the community at Standing Rock, especially at the camps, it was through through just remembering that I was a guest. It was not my homelands. It is not my tribe. You know, it is not my uh, my ceremonies, my traditions, my languages. So a lot, a lot of that movement was based on you know on the Oshati Shakoin, which is the seven sacred fires of the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota nations. So. It was definitely like a an understanding that I wasn't a, a guest and that I didn't know a lot of what was happening and that I should just become very curious about it. Understanding that when you go into somebody else's spaces and somebody else's home, they know best and they can tell you so much more than you could ever guess or even think that you know. Once I was inside that community and I, you know, I had like a lot of trust from the community and people in the camp, then I just I just kind of followed my intuition a lot when it came to photographing. So I try my best to come from a place of, of honoring and also remembering that this time, this, this movement was going to last for generations to come, that one day they were going to look back at this movement. So I wanted to make sure that I, I photographed and I documented something that was not being documented or that maybe it was overlooked. And I think that's, that was all from the inside out. So being able to be curious about it and about the culture and about the people and the community and then also the ancestral stuff, the stuff that was way beyond just a pipeline or was way beyond just a like a permit for a pipeline or all that stuff. I, mean, I think for me, what what really resonated with me was understanding that this was an effect that, that you know, people standing up for the rights of, for example, in this case, the river, you know, and the land. It was just an effect of, the 500 years of colonization that we've been going through and is still going through right now, you know, it was not like a thing that just popped off. Just at some point, humanity has to revolt and has to reclaim their power. So that's kind of what I was. I was like, this is just like, I just happens to be me, you know? Mm. If I recall correctly, many people were frustrated by the lack of coverage by mainstream media of the land protectors at Standing Rock. But you've said before that the ability for citizen journalists to have been the ones to tell these stories was empowering because it gave you control over the narratives. Can you talk more about the value that lies in being able to control the narrative and even for the people being photographed and written about to have been able to collaborate with you in that documentation? process. The powerful thing that I took from Standing Rock or that I still carry with me is that nobody can tell your story better than you. As indigenous peoples, since the beginning of, of photography, really, in the United States, in the Western Hemisphere, until until just recently, we've been subjected, right? So like, even in, a, in the language, you hear 
capturing and, you know, subject and taking and shooting. And those were all colonial ways of speaking about indigenous peoples by, by the colonizers. So when we live in a society where, you know, one of the, one of the most culture shifts are happening and they're happening through indigenous leadership, like it was happening in Ascending Rock, then that's when I realized, and I think a lot of people realize that, wait, hold on, we have the tools to, to tell our own story and we have the tools to empower others to want to share their story through a different way, not, not just coming from the inside, from the outside out, but rather coming from the inside out. So, and also the lack of coverage wasn't really a surprise for me. It was just more of the the lack of cultural understanding. A lot of the things that I saw, just people just kind of like marching in into the camp and just saying, this is my right to do this, this is my right to do that. When in reality, we were in a ceremony, we were like literally in somebody's church. If you want to compare it to like a way that like a more Western way of looking at it, it's like we were in somebody's church and they were like literally in their own ceremony, in their own mass, I guess you can say. And it just happens to be like a social movement too. So I think that that when it comes to the media, it was it was not your your typical situation. And then it just happens to be led by the folks that we've been oppressing for hundreds of years since contact, you know, like it hasn't been like a great relationship with the world. So... I think that's that's why it was more powerful. It was because now you gave folks the opportunity to like, for example, in some of the cases, there were people that were being asked by like mainstream media about their cell phone footage. Like, hey, do you, you, you happen to be there because you were there because this is your story. Can we borrow some of your footage and can we use it for our video piece that we're doing? So like then you saw mainstream media also just resourcing to the citizen journalism because of the fact that it was such a complex story and it wasn't just something that you can just go there for a couple of days and just kind of like join for a couple of days. It was like, no, this story is going to be something that we're going to remember for, for like humanity. Like, I really think that Standing Rock was an awakening of this new wave and this new age that we're entering into. We're coming back to like our matriarchal ways and, you know, really embracing the earth as a whole. That's why it was so hard for mainstream media to talk about it, because it was just this like protest to them. And it's like, it wasn't really a protest. I mean, it was to some people, but it was way deeper than that. And I think that's why telling our story and having different angles was really important. On a similar note, oftentimes people today travel around the world and with no ill intention may end up taking photographs of the local communities who we may have no direct relationship or that we actually understand deeply. I think you were referring specifically to indigenous peoples being taken photos of by people who have no relation to them or truly understand their culture and their people. And you said that this can be dangerous for the people. So I'm wondering how so and what would shine through in the resulting photos when people take the time to actually earn the respect, permission, and trust of the people they're photographing compared to when photos are just taken in more of a momentary and transactional way? I think that has to do a lot with the way that we perceive photography and like image making, you know, and like visuals. Because like, if you really think about it, like before Photoshop was invented, like nobody ever questioned whether an image was real or not. You know, we just took it as as face value and we were like, well, that, you know, that image is maybe the only image that we get from that conflict or from that war or, you know, from that perspective. So, like, we just accepted it and we're just like, okay, great, like, that's the truth. And then all of a sudden you, you have this technology where they're telling you, like, hey, maybe the photo that you have might be altered. And now we're in a place where I think we're kind of like a little behind on photography and like a little like 20 years behind right now where we're realizing that, like, you know, imagine how many photographs there are in this whole world right now. 
as we speak. Like there's probably like millions of images traveling through the internet right now, right? When it comes to like the way that we make images and the way that we use these tools like photography or videography or, you know, virtual reality and all these different things that, that we already have access to, we have to be mindful about it. We can't just be wild and free in a sense of being careful. So I feel like that really relates to how we approach making images. There's a difference between making something with somebody and also like just taking from somebody. And I feel for a long time, we were like accustomed to the idea that like, if it was in the front of in the front page of the New York Times, even for example, like you think about like conflict, right? Like the war in Syria, you see this little kid blown up, no legs, and like the dad is scaring him, you know, crying. That was okay with us to put it in front of the New York Times and like take it as face value. And there was probably some form of like impact that that had. At the same time, imagine like the, the story of that dad. Maybe his kid died and now he no longer will have his kid. And yeah, he's going to be remembered by that image. He won't be remembered by the image of him playing with his kid at the park. We were going to remember that war through those lenses of poor people in Syria. There's so much more to that. So like when we create and we collaborate with people, not subjects, but people, then all of a sudden you're going to get to see like much more ra- well-rounded stories. And then and then that's a responsibility that I think we have as storytellers and people that can use media and like tools like photography and like iPhones and, you know, all these things. Now we're all responsible. It's not just photojournalists. We're all responsible to share a much more um, well-rounded like story, you know, even our own story. And that's why the work that I do is like, I want to create space for that. I want to create space for people to be like, hey, like I'm pretty superficial on Instagram. And because I'm self-conscious about my shit. But if we create a space for them to feel real, that's my next project. It's like, you know, people can document themselves. But we have to make the space for it as creators. We can't just be like, all right, you know, we're going to go to your conflict zone and like just take and like go back to our place in New York and like get an award for it. And again, I'm just being cynical on that. But like, it's, it's very much what I've seen. Like there's people that get into photojournalism just to get an award. And that's usually not the people from those communities. So it's like, yeah, there's like a level of responsibility that we have now that we cannot overlook anymore because these tools are so accessible to everybody. For example, just walking down the street right now, there was this man like laying down on the street, like passed out and probably high. And there was like really beautiful lighting falling on him. And as a photographer, as a person who like is a visual person, I was like, wow, what a, like just the use of lighting in that moment without me even touching it was just this beautiful moment. But then I was like, yeah, and like, don't document it because like, what about this person? Like, why don't you just instead like talk to this person and like figure out what, if they're okay, you know? Instead of being like, wow, that would be such a great image for Instagram. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like people do that shit. Like, they're like, oh yeah, like I want to like, regardless of what happens, I want I want my photos to be the best. But what about what about the people in the image, you know? That's a really powerful reminder of how photography can really be used as a powerful tool for social change and to encourage people to find more empathy for other people. Because as you said, when when people are portrayed in in this singular way, that's only one side of who they are. But there's so much more depth and complexity to who they are as humans that when we just walk by a person, see a scene that we may feel like are beautiful shots that we can take advantage of and we shoot that and then leave, we're really almost erasing that person as a person because there's so much more to this human than we may see in that single moment. I've been in this situation where we were in a ceremony and I had a friend who is this like very well-known photographer come to the ceremony and he was really eager to like make photographs, right? 
I was like, I don't know, dude. Like, I don't know if I, I don't, I don't know if I feel comfortable with that. But then we decided, like, okay, cool. Like, you can do some photographs after the ceremony when we go to the river. And then he did. And then I saw the photographs. And then I was like, I don't really like how I look because I was in such a raw state that I was not. I was not ready to be seen, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? Like, and it's okay. So, so then you think about that. And then I was like, imagine like, for example, like a famous actor, if they're doing a photo session for like a cover for a magazine, they get a right and the chance to go through the images, their publicist goes through the images. Like if they don't like something, like nothing's going to go out because they have the power over the image. But like in that situation where I was like, man, like now I'm, I'm subjected to this person's desires to like photograph me. And imagine somebody that is crossing the border that has, that doesn't speak the language here. And then they're like, jump the border. And like on the other side, there's just a bunch of photographers documenting the situation. Or like you've seen these photographs of like little kids in the border that be, they're being caught. They have no saying on, on how their image is, is shown or even read. They don't get a chance to be like, hey guys, actually this is my story. And like, this is who I am. Please define me by this. Don't define me by this photo of me just like trying to cross the border. Define me by this photo of me back at home when I was a lawyer and I had to like leave because like there was gangs in my neighborhood or something. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So like, Yeah. Well, okay. So the other extreme end of this is obviously people who are really photoshopping their bodies and setting these impossible beauty standards for the whole fashion and beauty world. So how do we how do we work with that when people are like, oh, I want to look absolutely perfect, as opposed to people wanting to see the reality of how people actually look in real life? Definitely. I mean, I think that that comes down to like the question you asked me in the beginning is like social justice and like connecting back to the earth. All of these processes that we're going through as a civilization, as a civilization, it's just a matter of us loving ourselves. Mm. Like if we love ourselves enough, we will realize that we are actually an extension of the earth. And that how we treat ourselves is how we're going to treat the earth. How we treat our women is going to treat the earth. How we treat our, our kids is how we're going to treat the earth. So that's how we treat ourselves because we're literally made out of the same thing as the earth. <laughs> like we are an extension of it, right? So that's one thing to think about is we're dealing with self-love issues, you know, as humanity. And photography just happens to be, again, this too hasn't even been with us for that long. Photography has only been with us for like a few generations properly. You know what I mean? Like where everybody has access to it. Imagine like 20 years when you can totally like recreate your life. You can recreate scenes of your life. So like, you know, there will be like an app that will create you, you, you know, you've been in like the Great Wall of China. <laughs> But you weren't really there. And that's actually happening already. So again, it's, it's, like, it's like going back to the, like, that responsibility of when you have an, a, a, like a camera with you, you have something that, where you can create something where like the computer is creating it for you. That's the huge responsibility about that. And I don't think we talk about it enough because it's too, it's too much. Like if, we, if, we, if people started realizing that like the, the way that social media works and the things that you see in social media are not all true, then like our little bubbles will be burst, you know, and we will be freaking out or, or even just like the conversations and the narratives that we, we hear about people. Like, for example, like Greta Thunberg, right? Like she's like going viral everywhere. I was in New York doing a documentary with Chuteska about the climate march and she was there. Right. And like, I was not about to go and try to like have an interview with, with her and do all these things because I was like, you know what? Like it just looks too overwhelming for her as a, as a young person to, have to like 
share the same thing she's probably shared, you know, a hundred times. And, but there's like a responsibility there as, as a storyteller to be like, as much as I would love to do that for the story, I need to be respectful of this person and, and the reality of who they are. Like maybe the reality is like, you know, yeah, like, I don't know, like maybe they, you know, they need space, you know, and, but there's that responsibility. I know, I guess, and, and, and maybe sometimes I think about it and I'm like, man, am I being like too extreme on that? And, and then, and then I think not really because we're very unaware of what this technology is going to do to our to our reality, like how we perceive reality. And imagine if somebody tells you, like as an indigenous person, you're never represented like in like mainstream media as, as a hero. Like there's no Native American heroes. So you never see yourself as a hero. Or if somebody tells you, you know what, like we need profits over protecting the earth. And they repeat it to you a hundred times. And they repeat it to you through the movies. And they repeat it to you to like these like ideas that we have to leave the earth for another planet. They're shaping your reality. Like they're programming you and they're programming us. So that's what I'm, I mean is that like reclaiming your narrative and telling your own story and creating spaces for other people to tell their own story. It's like healing. And it's also going to bring us back to like just loving ourselves a little more. To go a little deeper into this, a study from 2016 showed that in the United States newsroom, 83% of the workforce is white and just 0.39% is American Indian. Certainly, it is possible for anyone to take the time to learn our history and current events through uh, more diverse lenses. But it's become pretty clear that in the big picture, the general public's learned viewpoint of Columbus's so-called discovery and what's taught in the United States history book really come from the perspective of the colonizers. And just qualitatively speaking, I feel like there's definitely been a lack of coverage of stories being told in mainstream media of our indigenous peoples, their everyday life ways, struggles, and resilience. So to take this further, what do you think has been the result of this skewed and lack of portrayal? I think it really hurts the, the, the again, the self-esteem of, of those people that are being portrayed by by that majority. You think about the work of Edward S. Curtis and you probably seen his work. It's like these beautiful images of like Native Americans from the past, right? Like these iconic images. And his belief was that well first of all he was, you know, he's a white male from like Seattle and his belief was uh, that these were gonna be the last of these peoples. You know, like he had to document them before they were all gone. That's literally been like that narrative that has been taken into mainstream media where it's like People still wonder if there's Native Americans. I mean, people that have no idea that there's like Native people, like in Portland, for example, that there's a huge community here. So when you're invisible to others because they don't put you in, you know, they don't make your visibility count, then you're invisible to society. Like somebody in Germany might think that Native Americans still live in tipis and wear headdresses, and they literally do. Like, just a fun fact, there's this crazy infatuation with Native Americans by Germans because of this book that this dude wrote where like the Native Americans were like the heroes and uh, like the cowboys were like the Amer- no, like the Americans, you know, like the United States and they beat the, the cowboys, you know. So like Hitler made Native Americans honorary Aryans, just fun fact too which was freaking crazy. So then anyway, so then you you think about like people in Germany, they think, they literally think that people live in tipis. Like I met Germans who think that people are still like hunting buffalo and living in tipis because of the fact that they see these images from the past and even the, the present, like National Geographic is, is great at doing this, uh, like perpetuating this idea of like the savage or like the very spiritual Native American, you know, it's like Native communities are very complex. <laughs> For example, i just give a quick example. The Southwest tribes 
are way different than the Pacific Northwest tribes, than like the Midwest tribes, you know? And even me as an indigenous person, like I have a hard time going into some of those communities and documenting because they have their own protocols and their own ways of doing things. So you can just like pile Native Americans in mainstream society as like, well, they're all one thing and they, you know, they're just Native Americans. They probably live in tipis and wear headdresses. And I think that, that that's what imagery does is that we're in a spot where like we can actually tell the stories of diversification of our narrative. Like, for example, you think about like the peoples of, you know, the Incas peoples of Peru. They're Native Americans. The Mexica people from, from where I come from, from Tenochtitlan, which is Mexico City, we are Native American because America is a continent. So if you tell that to like somebody in school or like in a media industry, like person, they might be like, wait, you're, but they're Mexican or they're Peruvian, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that is because of, again, the movies, the narratives, there will be movies that, you know, will be like portraying like, Plains natives fighting loud, like people like in uh, in like Florida, for example. And, like there were no Plains natives in Florida. They didn't dress like that. They didn't speak like that. But yeah, we we made that okay. We were like, oh yeah, like they all look the same, you know, and they all sing the same songs and wear the same headdresses. So I think that what we're going now is like it's like this really beautiful spot where we can actually not only reclaim the narrative but invite people to hear those narratives because, like in my case, like my people's. In my tribe, it's a completely different story than the Apache or you know or the Navajo, you know, or the Ne. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, I think that that's 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 where we're going. Yeah, it definitely sounds like we have a lot of unlearning to do first, and then a lot of learning in terms of all the complexity and the stories and the diversity that exists among people who mainstream media may have just simply portrayed as. Native Americans. There's a lot of stories for us to learn there. So obviously, traditional media still has massive power in shaping public understanding, consensus on certain issues, and public opinion as well. So in your view, what has to change so that what's being portrayed by the media will actually invite people to look past our superficial differences and find empathy and and see the humanity in one another so that we can actually come together, foster more peace and harmony among people and act on our common goals as one collective i mean even just this podcast when i was thinking about it you know i was reading i was listening to other to other episodes and all these beautiful things you all make and and i was just thinking like wow the the intersection of environmentalism social justice and art it's it's very relevant right now but then it's a human thing is that why don't we make that intersection humanity like it's, it has nothing to do with political parties, with your religious views or anything. It's like, can we create spaces like this where one of the intersections is like, well, you're a human being and I'm a human being as well. Like, let's take care of each other. We can disagree and that's cool. But you're you're my relative. You know, there, there's a concept of relation within like a lot of native communities, a lot of different tribes where they say we're all related. Like not just me and you as, as people, but everything around you and you know all these all these beautiful elements and then all these beautiful plants and trees and and you know other animals that are surrounding you so so when you really look at life like that and you have that world view as a foundation for how you approach stories for example for like in my case then you're able to to translate that into like a podcast like this you know what i mean like we're we're, we're not we're not seeing images right now but yeah the intersections are so they're so relevant. And I think that that's a generational thing. I think it's our generation that our generation and the generations that are willing to go there 
where we're like these borders that we've been like creating for ourselves and also that have been like programmed into our minds, you know, of how different we are, like are coming down, you know. And real quick, before we wrap up, I did want to mention your work with Shuta Scott Martinez, who is a notable hip hop artist, indigenous climate activist and the youth director of Earth Guardians, who we had the honor of having on a previous Screen Dreamer episode. So our listener can definitely tune into that to learn directly from him as well. So you've been working with him for quite some time now. What do you think your creative and art driven collaboration with him and other youth climate activists of color has made possible? And moving forward how can we support this momentum my collaborations with Chutesca and just how we you know for the last for the last like three years been working together on on a more collaborative process and I knew him before that you know I knew him since he was really young he's like the perfect example of of people telling their own stories so a lot of the things that we do and how we how we operate you know how I operate as his creative director it's basically me being able to listen to his needs and also listen to the needs of his generation and then create content and bring it back to him and create like campaigns and create ideas. And then one thing that is very different with him and with like the environmental movement is that, like I said earlier, like they're very intersectional. So Chutesca is not, you know, his, his like whole story about like him being a kid warrior and like, you know, a little kid that like fights for the environment. Like that's one narrative that has been played for like a long time, which is very real and very true. But he's also a hip hop artist. And for me, like I see him more as a hip hop artist than like as, a, as an environmentalist. As I see him more as an entrepreneur than as an environmentalist. The ideas and the things that he's talking about and like his visions for humanity are beyond just standing in front of like, you know, Capitol Hill and like protesting and like, you know, making a sign, you know, going to the UN and like talking to the UN. Like he's... His way of of making change it's it's so updated that me as a collaborator and somebody that works with him closely has pushed me to to better understand that and to really ap- apply it to the way that we make content, the way that we tell stories. So a lot of it is is me listening to him, and a lot of it is like you know he's like only nineteen years old, but he has like the soul of like a hundred year old man, you know. So it's a lot of that. Um, a lot of that, like listening, to be honest, like I feel like we're in a spot where listening to the people that we collaborate with is is going to be like one of the healthiest things that we can do because we all want healthy collaborations. We, I think that we desire that as human beings, we desire connection with each other. And when you're able to create something cool and like impactful and, you know, aesthetically beautiful, and then you also feel really good about those people that you collaborate with and, and you have a healthy like communication patterns and relationship, then then that is the impact that is going to translate into how people view these things. You're listening to Green Dreamer with Kamea Shane, and we're now going into a mindful musical intermission before closing off with our final five. Don't wait any longer Cause the night is drawing in And the sun's getting stronger While the ice is wearing thin Come out of the shadows So your voice can be received Don't stand on the sidelines Come fight for the air that you breathe Cause we all have the 
What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow, or a book that's been really profound for you? This organization called NDN Collective. It's a native native led organization that is out of、uh, South Dakota, led by this amazing this amazing brother. His name is、uh, Nick Tilson, out of Pine Ridge,、uh, South Dakota, which is the poorest county in the whole country. Things that he's、wow. been able to do through his work there, his own community, and now through this you know new platform called NDN Collective. Uh, to me, are, are are like exactly like the level of impact that I want to have in my in my life in my in my work, where it's very inclusive of everybody, and then also just the whole team is indigenous. You know, like every single person in their team is is native, and to me that's really important. And it's like never ever been done like that. You know, where we are depending on each other and like collaborating with each other and helping each other out. So for me, that is my account. It's like NDN Collective and and the work that they're doing. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I just believe in myself a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just don't allow any barriers or borders to enter my my spirit, to enter my mind, to enter my heart. And they try, you know, like every single day, from the first interaction of the day here in Portland, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a minority, to responding to an email later on. You know, what I mean, like it's. I think there's so much work to do for gaining equity for indigenous peoples in this country and in this world, to be honest. So for me, it's just like I just believe in myself. Nobody else can give you that. There can be other people that believe in you. There can be people that really support your work. But for me, it's you know, it's like talking to my inner child. It's like saying because that inner child believes in me. You know what I'm saying? So like、mm-hmm. I don't like if my inner child believes in me and that hope is there that I can do what I need to do on this earth. And that it will make an impact, then then I'm all good. Because, for example, like my son sees that, and my son sees that. Oh wow, my dad believes in himself despite all these challenges. And then his inner child has been has been has been programmed right now. That's how I keep it going, basically. What's one thing you're working on for your health? I've been doing a lot of like floats, like、uh, deprivation tanks. Have you done those before? No, I'm so, intrigued though. So you go into this tank that where you're floating on like. Thousands of pounds of Epsom salt, and you just like lay there for an hour, and you pass out, and there's no, there's no sound, there's no light, and you're just floating. It's like you're floating in space, and then you wake up like super recharged, and you reset. You know what I mean? So like your nervous system resets. That's what I do. I just like to reset my nervous system. What are you working on right now to elevate your positive impact for our planet? For me, it's really about storytelling and like creating spaces for Indigenous peoples to tell their own stories. So、uh, I'm currently working on a very,、uh, very beautiful project called the Standing Strong Project that lives on Instagram. So it's Standing underscore Strong underscore Project. What it is is it's creating a space for Indigenous peoples to tell their own stories and then write their legacy statement. On the image, and then what we do, we we're gonna blow those images up and put them up on walls throughout the country. So, so that's what I'm doing because I feel like that is the first step towards loving the earth and like loving this beautiful life that we are given is to love ourselves. And what makes you most hopeful for our planet and world at the moment? Man, I mean, honestly, like my son, the next generations of kids that are coming into this earth with. Wisdom beyond anything we ever seen before, and that are going to push the boundaries of the structures that have been in place for a long time. And I cannot wait for for like those young warriors to rise up with their power and to 
deconstruct this this paradigm that we've been buying into and we've been agreeing to <laughs> for a long time. You know, when I look at my kiddo where, you know, he'll ask me questions that I'm like, wow, you're only three years old and you're already asking me this beyond, you know, normal questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think about the fact that like, wow, my responsibility as a father and also as, you know, as a person who truly believes that life is a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful gift. So I think they, they give me that hope. And I can even imagine like what his generation is going to do, you know. Well, Green Dreamer, to learn more and stay updated on Josue's work, you can head to www.josueriva.sfoto.com. And you can also follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Josue underscore photo and on Facebook at Josue photo. I'll have all of this linked in the show notes as well that you can find at greendreamer.com. Josue, if our listener would like to get involved with your work and support your upcoming projects, what cost to action would you like to share? I would like to say that uh, as much as I am an individual, I do work a lot with other organizations and communities. So just going to my website and being able to tap into the work that I'm doing and also to the links of, of those other creatives that are doing work to uplift the voices, especially of indigenous peoples, I think that will be my call to action. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today and for all that you do, being a very intentional, thoughtful, and mindful creator. Uh, What final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? To not stop dreaming, to be honest. like That's one thing that I do on a daily basis. There's a lot of creators right now that are pushing boundaries and they have been pushing boundaries for a long time. We still haven't seen this wave of creatives like Rice that that is coming in like Shuteska's age, you know, and like for me, it's to not stop dreaming because we need to keep the hope going that this is going to be a better world. And I truly believe it is. And, and we're already seeing like the tip of that. So just to like not lose hope and to keep dreaming because that's that thing that's going to keep us alive. Yeah, we are.